from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Today, children's author Sandra Boynton tells OSU student Aaron Riley Sanders about writing for children and why it is now tickle time. Also, OSU student Justine Boggs talks to Chris Spielman about his new book, That's Why I'm Here, the Chris and Stephanie Spielman story. Chris Spielman will be signing this book on Saturday, April 21st at 10.30 a.m. at the OSU Bookstore. And that's ahead of the spring football game, so check that out. And now, our discussion with Sandra Boynton. From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing, this is Writer's Talk. I'm Erin Riley Sanders. Sandra Boynton is a multi-talented producer of Fun for Kids. While best known for her silly board books for toddlers, Boynton got her start designing greeting cards for recycled paper. If you've ever gotten one of the 10 million birthday cards wishing you Hippo Birdie to use, you've seen her illustrations in person. Primarily an author-illustrator, meaning that she illustrates the books she writes. She's also been known to compose music and song lyrics, direct music videos, write for adults, and even assemble a 300 kazoo orchestra. Welcome to Writer's Talk, Sandra Boynton. Your latest project is a board book called Tickle Time that's great at getting kids giggling. Tell me about it and how you were inspired to create this ticklish romp of furry cats. This book actually comes out of a song uh, from my long-ago album, Rhinoceros Tap, um, the song Tickle Time. And so many people had asked, uh, especially little people, had asked if there was a board book of this, um, and I decided there should be. So that's what this is. This is the, the long-awaited um, board book version of the Tickle Time song. Many of your board books, like Tickle Time, are also songs on your various CDs. Would you recommend that newcomers start with the book or the song, or are they meant to be experienced together? I don't really intend for them to be experienced together. I think they stand on their own, so they complement each other, um, but they're not really intended as a um, tandem experience. So um, I think starting either place is great. So either the book or the song or, um, you know, either way, either way works. Blue Hat, Green Hat is one of my favorite board books because its humor appeals to me as an adult, while the illustrations and the conceptual focus on colors and getting dressed is perfectly suited for toddlers. How do you address these incredibly different audiences? Um, They're really the same audience. Um, I think um, the thing I most enjoy um, and and have been lucky in my own work is that I don't have to, um, you know, really carefully target a market. I don't tend to think of the market that way. I tend to, um, I mean, first and foremost, I'm writing these books for myself and um, have, have pretty clear access to myself as a child as uh, as well as I think most children's book writers remember their childhood mm-hmm. and being a child pretty vividly. Um, so really they are meant for everyone and there's nothing you need to do differently to make them for everyone. In addition to books, you also compose music and write lyrics, often for witty children's songs that are now sung to children far and wide. What songs did your parents sing to you as a child? Um, it's interesting. My parents sang lots of, um, I think, the songs that everybody's parents sang to, to them, you know, lots of nursery rhyme songs. And uh, my mother also particularly loved songs from the 20s. Um, you know, she was born in the early 20s, and so a lot of sort of vaudeville-era songs um, and both my parents also loved recorded music, so we had a lot of um, Ella Fitzgerald on, had a lot of Broadway show tunes, um, a lot of Tommy Dorsey, uh, so a little, a little of everything. And I, I actually think you can sort of um, discern that in my work, a sort of um, a slightly retro and almost 
big band sensibility that came from my very young childhood. Did they teach you how to play kazoo? (laughs) I seemed to have a natural talent for the kazoo, uh, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I'm kind of a kazoo, you know, prodigy. I, 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 my understanding of music is, is mediocre enough that I seem perfect <laughs> for the kazoo. Oh, excellent. Um, you wrote a board book and accompanying song called Your Personal Penguin. Do you have a personal penguin? Who is it, and how did they convince you that they were the right penguin for the job? Ah. Uh, when I wrote the song, Your Personal Penguin, um, I realized that I was hearing um, Davy Jones of the Monkees mm-hmm. sing it in my head as I was writing it. And um, it occurred to me to find him and ask him to sing it. And, uh, you know, one of the great high points of my creative life was working with Davy Jones. Um, he truly was absolutely perfect for this song. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everyone else of my generation, I'd had a crush on Davy Jones uh, <laughs> since the first time I saw him on the Monkees. Um, and I even got to work with him um, on stage at the Kennedy Center. We co-hosted a, a show of uh, things based on my songs, and he did Your Personal Penguin then. So he was the perfect singer, and I was fo- so fortunate to work with w- work with him. What an amazing man. It is one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm sure you get asked this a lot about your board book, but not the hippopotamus. But some of the big kids still want to know, why not the hippopotamus? <laughs> it's funny how, you know, it's funny. You think you write pretty simple books since they're, you know, for young children as well as everyone else. Um, to me, this book is very much about um, fear. So I, some people have taken it as a book about non-inclusion, but mm-hmm. it's about self-exclusion, and that's... It, if you look at the book, that's it's pretty. That's that's exactly what's happening. Is that the the hippo? She's holding, she's holding back from joining, um, and so it's not that she's being excluded. And of course, this book ends with, but not the arm. You know, she joins, mm-hmm. but yes, the hippopotamus. And then it says, but not the armadillo. And I've even been criticized for that. Why are you excluding? And you go, I'm not excluding. The whole point of the book is, is the way in which we all exclude ourselves. Um, out of out of fear, out of reticence. So anyway, that's I I didn't think I'd have to be in the position of explaining my work, <laughs> but that's what that's what that book um, to me. That's what that book means. Do you think that your choice of the animals to represent those two characters, the hippopotamus and then the armadillo, um, reflects that uh, sort of self closed off feeling that they're both presenting? I know, not consciously. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Certainly not consciously. Um, you know, armadillo, one would choose, even though it does have, so I guess you're right, it has a shell. Mm-hmm. To me, it was really more the sound, but not the armadillo. It's such a terrific, um, melodic, poetic <laughs> sound. Um, but you're probably right on some, you know, non you know, preconscious level. Um, I might have chosen those characters for that reason. Could you tell us a little bit about your creative process? With such a variety of media, do you approach each the same way, or is it uh, really a different type of task for each thing? I'm amazed how similar all of the creative projects feel to me. So whether I do, I'm doing, you know, reading cards or a book or music, or I've now done some. Um, you know, video, you know, short films. Um, 
they all feel, or, or stage work, they all feel like the same process to me. Um, you know, in any of those media, there's a, a you need to find the the shorthand that presents uh, the work um, in a way that that makes it um, flow and. Um, you know, so so they all feel like the same sort of process. They don't feel like different things. So so to me, it's interesting. People say, "Oh, you do so many different things," and it makes me feel a little like a fraud because they really do all feel like the same kind of thing. Each with their own. You know, each each medium has a different challenge, but the but the process is the same. Do you do anything to enter into that process to get yourself ready for writing these uh, really silly things, um, like you know, listening to certain music or putting on silly hats or anything? Um, no, not at all. There's the same sort of. Um, I think this space is sort of my natural space. Um, so, you know, I have a slightly quirky. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think I'm naturally a kind of a joyful person with, mm-hmm. with a certain amount of um, uh, skepticism and even outsiderness. I mean, but not the hippopotamus, the sort of holding back and being an observer is certainly not alien to me. Um, but I, I think my work is pretty comfortably a reflection of where where I naturally reside, if that makes any sense. Some people just seem to have a sort of sense of humor that always uh, is within them, perhaps. Um, you dedicated your first picture book, Hippos Go Berserk, about a 45 hippo party to your parents with the note, I didn't invite them. Did you invite them? Can you tell us the story behind this dedication? <laughs> um, I don't know. My, my parents, um, who had you know, a, a wonderful, humorous relationship, relationship um and they were both um you know my dad much more gregarious um than my mom but both you know social people with a lot of friends who also liked their quiet time um so i think that that um i I think that that story is somewhat autobiographical in a way um actually about me too you know that this this hippo is alone and wanting company, has the company, is a little overwhelmed by the company, the company leaves, he's relieved, and then immediately, you know, this is not, you know. So I, I think this was very much the household I grew up in. And one last question for you. Your online autobiography mentions that you have designed many other wry and or cute but largely irrelevant things. What are some of the most fun things that you've designed, and how do these items fit in with your other creative productions? Um, the most fun thing I've done um, relatively recently uh, is probably the least um, commercially successful thing I've ever done, and I still would do it again in a heartbeat, which is a um, 300 kazoo recording of, um, of Ravel's Bolero, uh, full length, 17 minutes long, um, with full orchestra and 300 kazoos. And um, I think it's one of the... Um, I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever done, but I think it's, uh, it has a curious power about it, too, that eventually um, the, the piece, which is, of course, a wonderful piece of music, um, comes through. Um, it's a little hard to explain unless you, unless you take the time to listen to this very curious recording, but it's a, 
it's a curious celebration of the human spirit because the the piece is beyond the capacity of the kazooists and they render it nonetheless and um so i think it's probably my favorite thing i've ever done and the least commercially successful well it really is a wonderful piece thank you sandra boynton oh thank you so much it's been fun talking with you i appreciate you taking the time to tell us about tickle time from the Ohio State University, this is Aaron Riley Sanders for Writer's Talk. Kitchy kitchy goo, got a 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 kitchy Okay, go. Kitchy, kitchy, goo. Got a 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 kitchy, kitchy, goo. If you're feeling blue and you don't know what to do, there is nothing like a tickle time to make you feel like you. Oh, there's nothing like a tickle time to make you feel like you. So let's all get together and we'll get you butchy goo. Tickle time, 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 we can take a left, we can take a right, we can take all the day, tickle all around the town, tickle high, tickle Double double, you need a double double, you need a kitchen 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 Tickle 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 That was the song Tickle Time from Sandra Boynton's Rhinoceros Tap Book and CD. So if you have young people in your life, that's probably a great book and CD to get for them. And now OSU student Justine Boggs talks to Chris Spielman about his new book, That's Why I'm Here, The Chris and Stephanie Spielman Story. Chris, it is truly an honor to be with you here today to talk about the new book that will be released on April 23rd, The Chris and Stephanie Spielman Story, That's Why I'm Here. Um, To talk a little more about what are your main goals for publishing this book? During Steph's battle, that we've had the the good ones and the bad ones, um, we kind of agreed to maybe put this thing down. And, And so the book was written actually probably in the last five or six months of her life. Uh, I wanted it to be raw and the emotions to be raw. And when you find out that somebody's probably uh, 
going to uh, lose that battle, you kind of reflect on everything. And so everything was kind of fresh in my mind. And the main object of the book, and since we've been public with this from day one, was uh, to give people uh, hope and hope in times of uh, good when a cancer survivors is, is it's good news and how do you handle recurrence uh, how do you handle dealing with children and how do you handle a death and through all that there's always hope and there's always uh, some uh, glimpse of happiness and moving forward so it kind of touches all gamuts of the total experience plus there's a little football in there and, and some funny little anecdotes and things like that. Great. And talking about those funny little antidotes, being able to see the small joys and miracles, talk to me, maybe give me an example of just something funny or joyful that happened in the book. I think people might be surprised at my level of intensity, as, even as a kid, of trying to always push and challenge and challenge myself and, and not having any fear. And the one example in the book would be that I was at a swimming pool one time, and, and we were all supposed to go to Cedar Point. Some cousins were at this pool before we were going to leave, and then I saw this older kid do a one-and-a-half off a high dive. I never attempted that before, but I just, for whatever reason, was mesmerized by his feet. So I climbed up the stairs and presumed to try to do a one-and-a-half and was really hurting myself, but I kept climbing those stairs. And I remember my mom saying, Kurt, you got to stop what are you doing? And I think it was nine or ten. And uh, this kid finally said, look, man, you got to do this and do this to execute it. And so slowly I started to get it. Then my mom and my aunt and all my cousins saying, let's go. We got to go. You know, we got to get to Cedar Point. And I chose to ignore them until I did ten. And they then pleaded with my mom to please get him out of the pool. And she said, just let him do his ten. Then he'll be ready to go. And so I guess how that ties in is that no matter what the challenge is, you've got to stay persistent in in accomplishing whatever you need to accomplish. Absolutely. What can you say to men who are going through this with their wives and who are kind of looking more at the situation and why is this happening to me? It's okay to ask why as long as you don't dwell on the why and dwell on what what you're here for, what's your purpose, why why am I here? And did I take vows with this woman? Did I uh, promise to love her and in sickness and in health? And even for friends, I mean, how, what an honor it is to love somebody in that condition, to serve them in that condition. And so I think that the joy comes from helping somebody that needs help. And no matter how painful it is for them or how painful it is for you, that you never compromise your willingness to serve. And so I, I would say that there's great honor when you're dealing in a situation like this and it's a chance to honor the person you love, no matter what the relationship is. In honoring your wife, you had to also become a role, her role as well as a father's role. And talk to me about that. I think originally, you know, I tried to do everything how she did it. And that didn't work for me. And so, you know, I had to implement what I know, and that's either how a team is being run or how a locker room is being run or whatever. For example, I mean, she would have all the kids' schedules down in her head or on little post-it notes 
around her car or in the bathroom or whatever. So what I did was I put a big giant whiteboard in the kitchen and it looked like a practice schedule. Things to do, where we need to be, what's for lunch, you know. <laughs> so I just put it into my world. And, and you know, I had to adjust. I think that mothers have a an extra patient gene and an ability to listen and to be able to explain why a decision is being made from a parent. And my answer was always to my kids if they ask why they can do something or they want to that you're not enough to make that decision. End of story. Well, now I listen to their side and think about my answer as opposed to immediately throwing my authority around as opposed to thinking and listening, which I've developed over the years. So it's like kind of going from that tough football dad to, okay, you know, I've got to just hold this, you know, hold my kid while they're crying and listen to them more. And, you know, that was obviously probably a big adjustment for you. Yeah, well, it was, but it's, uh, again, I think there's a natural adjustment because you as a person have to be willing to change and and to look at other approaches. What can you say the best piece of advice that you could give to a man on how to step into the role as a man and carry the weight of this um, along the way? We have a choice to make. And you know, I think as a husband and a father, there is a leadership role to be played in the house. I'm not saying that in, that in any way. Uh, it's just what I feel. And when you see that, how it affects your whole family, I mean, it affects your children because of uh, they see their mother who undergoes physical changes and also mental changes. And so you have to be able to explain why this is happening and understand that the medicine, even though it may be making her hair fall out or making her sick or making her tired all the time, is something good. And even to this day, when they are constantly surrounded by pink ribbons and T-shirts and cruises with her name on it and a building with her name on it, that reminder is always going to be there. And so instead of fearing that reminder, embrace that reminder and understand what we and she stood for and why she did what she did. It was for the greater good. And so as a man or as a husband and father that's been given a platform, that can be somewhat trying at times because it's always there. You choose to focus on the good of why um, it's all, all around. And so my kids have where they're Stephanie Spielman breast cancer t-shirts with, with pride as opposed to with sadness and understand that what that represents. Personally, I've gotten to meet women of all walks of life, um, all stages of cancer um, through, um, you know, working with the Breast Center. I've seen how much she influences people still today. And you know, women who are mothers who look up to her. And so what is that feeling like for you? You know, I mean, does it give you chills? What, what is that moment like when you can see how the altruistic view of a breast cancer patient is because of what your wife did? Right. Well, initially, the, when, when you're explaining that to me, uh, the first thing that popped into my mind is, well done, good, faithful servant. And so... How many people in this world have a chance to have an impact on people's lives, uh, 
especially after they're deceased. And I think it's just a, an awesome tribute to what she embraced. I mean, she embraced a very private, difficult situation and made it public all for the greater good. And so she was allowed to have this cancer and go through what she went through for something much bigger than her. And what an honor that was. And she always thought that was an honor. And she performed it well. This book was written five to six months during the life and the struggle and of your wife. And so what can you tell me, looking at the finished product, holding the book in your hand, what is your hope for the readers and people who are going, you know, if they haven't been through cancer, if they have, what is your hope for them when they read this book? Well, I think that, you know, that all cancer is different and people react to drugs differently. And, and you know, nobody knows. So just because um, Stephanie's battle ended doesn't mean that your battle went and that there's going to be happy times and, and sad times and there's going to be tremendous blessings and there's going to be tremendous heartache. But there's always going to be hope and there's always going to be uh, an opportunity to continue to to press on and move forward. There's going to be great opportunities for people and to do good and whatever that may be. And it doesn't just have to be in a cancer world. I mean, when you when cancer uh, affects you or hits you, you tend to, like anything, a lot of things, prioritize what's important. Then all of a sudden your eyes are open to, well, I'm healthy and I have always had a passion for funding underprivileged educated kids or feeding the Navy or whatever the case may be. And so hopefully this will, will open people's eyes that when we have our health and we have uh, a roof over our head and food on our table and, and we have more than enough, then maybe we can look for ways to, to serve, not just financially, but I always tell my kids, you know, the most valuable thing you can give somebody is your time. And Stephanie certainly did that. And, and we try to do that as a uh, family unit. In concluding, you said that Peter 315 is very close to your heart. It's given you a lot of hope and a lot of strength. And it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for hope that you have. Right. But do this with gentleness and respect. Right. Being able to be a man of faith through this and have the hope that you have, what is a struggle for you um, right now? Or do you have any struggles? And how is that hope you've given to your kids? How have they handled struggles? Well, I, I think we understand that what hope is talked about in Peter in that verse that you're referring to is hope that is is not a uh, uh, it's not a, a wish, but hope that is a promise. If you accept what the gospel says, not all people do, which is you know that's their free will and free choice. But for people that do have faith, they have to understand the meaning of hope in that verse. And I'll repeat it again: it's hope in that verse is is uh, a promise of eternal life, not a wish for eternal life. And so the hope that we have is we know that, you know, as, as Stephanie was dying and her body was failing and cancer was taking her body and her mind or her mind and everything away, 
um, we knew that as soon as she took her last breath, that she would be renewed and restored to her full strength and to her ultimate glory um, that will last in eternity. And so for that, we take great joy. Chris, thank you so much for talking to me today. April 23rd, the book comes out. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Have a good day. You've been listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University. Thank you to my guest, Sandra Boynton, and Chris Spielman, as well as my guest interviewers, Aaron Riley Sanders and Justine Boggs. Join us next time for poet George Bilger, who will appear April 26th at the McConnell Arts Center as part of the Worthington Library's Here and Now program. He'll be here to discuss his poetry, his interest in teaching, and what it's like to appear on stage with Garrison Keillor on Prairie Home Companion. Until then, this is Doug Dangler. Keep writing. Keep writing.